0: Hi, and welcome to the Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family.
1: Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible
0: and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing... And Leslie Block, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom.
1: This episode of the Full Bloom Podcast is brought to you by our interactive and downloadable A to Z Guides to Body Positive Parenting. If you are determined to break the cycle of body insecurity and scrutiny for you and your family and to put body positive parenting into action, learn more and sign up at fullbloomproject.com
0: join us. These free virtual guides are free for just one more week until Friday, July 12th. So make sure you sign up for our mailing list and gain access to them. Each guide has a wealth of content, including research and resources to help you put the fundamentals of body positive parenting into action, as well as practical daily tips to help you and your care providers help your children fully bloom. Again, those can be accessed by signing up at fullbloomproject.com join us. After July 12th, these guides will be available exclusively to patrons of the Full Bloom Podcast, which we will talk more about how to become a patron next week.
1: Today is our final episode of Season 1.
0: We have made it through all 26 letters of the alphabet. That's right, and we did combine X, Y. So we have 25 episodes in season one. We hope you have been enjoying it. Yes. It
1: seems like our our listener base has grown and we've learned so much. And next week we're going to be talking a little bit more about the plan for the summer season because we are absolutely continuing to go. Plans for season two are underway. And to conclude season one, we have a wonderful guest joining us to work through our Q, letter Q, question, which is, what should I definitely quit doing or saying, Um, which is a bit of a summation of all the different letters and all the different episodes, Um, but we have Heidi Schouster, a nutrition therapist and author of a wonderful book called Nourish, How to Heal Your Relationship with Food, Body, and Self, and we're thrilled she's here. Heidi, welcome to the Full Bloom Project.
2: Thank you so much
1: for having me. <laughs> we're thrilled you're here. And, you know, today we're, we're trying to kind of do a roundup of what should our parent listeners really be working on quitting. And we love your book. And we, we think it's a must-have for all body-positive parents just to have – if they're going to have a nutrition Bible, this is the one we feel they should have. We love the 10 steps in your book pretty easy to understand steps for parents. Um, So here we are wanting to create like a 10-step guide to what parents should be quitting. So can you share a little bit about broadly like how your book and the steps in your book might really help parents understand our 10
2: steps today? Sure. Um, I created the 10 steps of Nourish. Um, How to Heal Your Relationship with Food, Body, and Self, for an individual to walk through their own journey of healing, and they're nonlinear steps. I say that over and over in the book. They're not meant to necessarily be followed in a certain progression, but I, I kind of ordered them for a particular reason. And this, my book initially was not written specifically for parents, but I do think that each of the steps could lend itself very well to parents and uh, how to actually take the healing process that one would do for themselves in their relationship with food and their own body and translate that into how to nurture that for their children. So I'm, I'm happy to uh, take my 10 steps and create a cue, um, a quit, (laughs) quit doing, um, and then kind of work through that with you. Awesome.
0: Great. So let's, let's start with step one, which we kind of adapted to be quit the diet mentality.
2: Yes. Um, quitting the diet mentality, the, like the chapter in my book is like ditch dieting for good. This is really a critical step, I think. Um, and I think you think as well, or is, which is why you made it step one, um, to just truly becoming a body positive parent, Ideally, if you can be a parent that's not dieting and if you are dieting, because that's where you are on your own journey, um, try to keep it out of your child's consciousness as much as you can and know that once you get older, that's nearly impossible. But um, I think what we know in the research is that restrictive eating, dieting is not sustainable and it actually creates a struggle. Um, with food, a cycle of struggle uh, with food and your body that can really last a lifetime. 96% of people who go on a restrictive diet will gain any weight back anyway that they, they lost, is what the research shows. And unfortunately, our, our diet industry, which is a $60 billion industry, um, doesn't want you to know that, it doesn't want you to understand that about the cycle. Otherwise, you won't buy their products or books or supplements, etc. But dieting, we know from the research that when children do it at a young age, and they do it by imitation sometimes, or you know, it's part of our culture, um, they start young. Uh, sometimes it can be a doctor who actually even suggests it. Uh, we know that those who actually are exposed to dieting at a young age tend to have more struggle. In their relationship with food and their body uh, throughout their lifetime, and I can't tell you how many clients I work with who struggle with compulsive eating um, also had, you know, parents who dieted and they that they imitated or they were put on a diet at a young age by a you know a well-meaning medical professional or a well-meaning parent. Um, I just can think it can really set you up for struggle.
1: So we want. I mean, and we've and we've talked about. That and the hazards of dieting on the podcast before, um, and it's partly why we we, the research really just tells us that we have to put this at the top of the the top of the list. But I wonder, like, in terms of quitting or quitting the diet mentality, how can parents do that? Like, if we're thinking about uh, how they're going to kind of quit the mentality as a household, right? To like have a nice reverberating effect for kids. What does it look like to quit the diet mentality?
2: What it looks like is creating a situation around food where there's less restriction in general. And I don't mean that it's not okay to set some healthy limits with your children. Like you wouldn't bring you wouldn't bring your kid into a candy store and tell them, like, eat whatever you want. You might like give them a couple dollars or a little bag that they can fill up or whatever and, and set some reasonable limits around food and balance in your life. But the less restriction that the family has around food, generally the better for kids to be able to create some sense of self regulation around food and, you know, some healthy balanced eating styles, which, you know, we know that kids actually do pretty naturally when left to their own devices. I think we have this idea that if we don't restrict or limit um, that children will just eat poorly, but um, the research doesn't actually show that. And, you know, I think that that left to their own devices, over the course of a week's time, kids generally will eat a well-balanced diet um, that get, gives them what they need to grow. And um, I think when we interfere in it too much, We, um, we set them up for more struggles and we, I'm sure we'll end up talking more about this as we go through your other cues.
1: Yes. Yeah. So Leslie, why don't you go for step two?
0: Yeah, let's, let's move to step two here, which is quit rejecting your own body and that of your kids. So let's talk about that for a second. Why do you want us to accept our bodies and how will this help our kids bloom in full?
2: Mm, Leslie, that's so such a good question. I'll give you an example. If you spend time, you know, standing in front of the mirror and kind of chastising your thighs, for example, chances are your children who might be watching that dialogue, um, you know, or that monologue, I guess you would say, um, (laughs) will... um, take that in on some level. They'll they'll notice it. And there's a good chance that your daughter, let's say, will have thighs just like yours, potentially, if she isn't already. And bad body talk sort of makes them feel like, well, maybe their bodies are unacceptable too. And um, so I think the more that we can create uh, a situation where we appreciate our bodies and their function and all the amazing things that they do for us in the world, the more we 're going to create body positivity and self love and sort of a more holistic kind of uh, ap- appreciation of the of the person. Um, but when we kind of split ourselves off into body parts and and say negative things about them, particularly in front of our children, I think we 're setting up a situation where Um, they may wonder if their bodies are okay too.
0: I like how you made that connection between the chances are that you, one of your children will have, will grow into a body that has parts that look like yours or are similar to yours, just genetics. Right. And while as a, as an adult to a young child, you may, it might be hard to make that connection, but when that child grows into their body that's when the connection is really activated in terms of oh well mom was a you know had a hard time with this i have a hard time with this part of my body and so i think just as for parents with young children i want to i want to encourage the kind of thought about the thinking that you just said, which was, it's a good chance your child will be standing in the mirror one day as an adult, seeing similar to what they saw in your body, whether or not even their, their, their legs do look the same. It's likely that they're, they're going to see some similarities and have that same mirror, that relationship that you have in the, with the mirror.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important for all of us. And I, you know, I, I don't want anyone to feel badly about um, anything that they may have said because, you know, we're all swimming in the same soup. Um, where, like, you know, a, a one of the ways that, particularly women, I think, not to be gendered, but I do think um, it is particularly when women bond sometimes is by kind of bashing their bodies or saying negative things about their bodies or like, you know, saying something and then looking for someone to sort of correct it or compliment them. I mean, I think there's there is that in our sort of social norms, unfortunately, in this culture. But I think we can work harder as as parents, especially at stopping some of that sort of fat shaming weight, you know, discriminatory kind of language, like even saying like, oh, she's really let herself go or, I probably shouldn't eat this, I'm too fat already, or does this make me look fat? Or these, these things that come out of our mouths often, like, you know, innocently, um, can be taken in pretty seriously by young kids. And we can do a, a good job, I think, as parents, of shifting the, um, you know, kind of discrimination around uh, larger bodies by shifting our language about it.
1: Yeah, I think it flows nicely to our step three, which is to quit judging. And we really appreciate that in your step three, you talk about practicing curiosity over judgment and criticism. And we'd love to just hear you talk a little bit about that and how we can apply that to body positive parenting.
2: Yeah, well... um Practicing judge curiosity over judgment, I think, can be helpful in all things. Um, Mm -hmm. I think especially the way we talk to ourselves, I think if we can instead of saying I'll use the example like, you know, oh, I I ate too much, you know, and and kind of if we if we say that repeatedly out loud to our children, we are giving the message that um, our appetites are not okay. Or that like overindulging is not okay. And, um, you know, I think we will all agree that overindulging repeatedly doesn't feel good. But it's a very different thing to create a judgment about it and say, oh, I did something bad than it is to sort of just be curious about it and say, oh, wow, like, you know, so interesting. I ate more than I normally eat at this party. I wonder why. Like, that's just such a kinder way to speak to ourselves. And I think if we can practice speaking to ourselves in, like, a curious versus a critical way, then we're more likely to sort of encourage our children to also address themselves with more curiosity.
1: I think this is so important. And it's subtle but really powerful because it's like if you can really model that and promote that in your kids, right, it removes everybody from the kind of moral uh, adjudication, right? And it's not like you did something bad or wrong, but rather it gives you this opportunity to check in with how you feel inside. It sounds like it really, it promotes an embodied experience. Like, oh, if you did eat a lot of birthday cake, how does it make you feel? And that ties so nicely to what we talk about here with different experts about intuitive eating, connected eating, and, allowing, I don't know, allowing the space to, like you said, get curious about what does it actually feel like when you um, eat more than felt good, you know, as opposed to some referendum on
2: your character, which is just so popular, right? Yes. Yes. No, I think it doesn't need to be a moral kind of thing, um, but it can be a like, oh, interesting. I wonder why I did that. Like, you know i mean just if we could all address ourselves that way it's just so much more gentler and less um damaging to our sense of self
0: yeah i'm thinking about how many how many of my clients come in with the the i feel fat and making that very a judging kind of descriptor which i always work with them on being curious about what they even mean by that um And, you know, to help them deconstruct that statement um, and see that it's a judgment and be curious. And I think even just that, whether or not you're saying it out loud, your kids are noticing that they're observing what you're describing as to yourself or out loud, I feel fat. And we want to show them how to model for them, how to... Be non-judgmental and be curious and be a little more descriptive. And I love that. I think it's so important. Like you said, Zoe, it's so subtle, but it's really powerful when you make it a practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's let's talk about step four: um, the quit second guessing your body. And this term that you have or that you talk about, what is body trust? And How do we model that as body positive parents to help our kids bloom in full?
2: Body trust is so important. It's like it's one of my favorite and probably one of the hardest steps. But it's really assisting your, in in the case of parents, assisting your children um, in believing that their bodies um, know what's best, uh, particularly around food. For example, I I remember like my kids used to, when they were younger, I have two teenagers now, but um, when they were younger, my daughters used to like ask me like, can I have a snack? And I would always like kind of my response to that would always be like, if you're hungry for one, of course. So like just repeatedly kind of encouraging your kids to tune into their body and trust that wisdom. Um, Like if you're child is going through a, a phase where they're doing lots of baking instead of like, you know, kind of expounding upon the dangers of too much sugar. Like it's probably important to like notice the way that maybe they're growing right now. And so they're like interested in eating more (laughs) and, um, and encouraging them like to just listen to what their body is telling them. So, I love El, all of Ellen Satter's um, work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't, if you haven't talked about her already in in the podcasts, but um, she is and it's Satter S A T T E R, and she ha- talks about um, division of responsibility, which I love. Yeah, We do, we do too. We actually, we brought someone on
1: from the Saturn Institute to talk, to help us define what does the word healthy really
2: mean? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So, you know, in a nutshell, um, you know, staying in your own lane um, right. instead of um, going into their lane. So you can, you can keep balanced, varied health promoting foods around your house um, and serve them to your children at meals and snack times, But it's their job to decide what to eat and how much of it. And I think when we go into our kids' lanes and we start to sort of say, well, have a little bit more of that or have less of that, or I, and I think it's always well meaning. I mean, I've even, I even found myself doing it and I totally know better when my kids were young because I was just so wanting them to have more protein at breakfast so they could get through their school day, for example. But I think when we do that, like we, we take away that experience of body trust just a little bit. And I think, It's really important to try to encourage our kids to self regulate around food because that's what's going to help them to become ultimately healthy eaters. It's not so much about the types of food they eat, it's can they actually listen to what their bodies want and don't want? Can they listen to their hunger? Can they listen to their fullness? Um, And that they have to be in touch with their bodies in order to do that.
1: You know, and I, I'm with you. Like it, even with all the education we're getting through speaking to people like you and, and folks from the Satter Institute, I find too, that it's that it's, it's a natural impulse to want to push food on your kid, especially if you're afraid that like you were saying, won't have energy for the day or if, you know, it's, I guess I'm i I'm appreciating that this is tough for parents because it's tough for well-meaning parents and it's even tough for well-informed parents because of everything you were just saying. And for some reason, I'm connecting this statement body trust to a lot of what we hear in, like, childbirth classes. And, you know, for parents that, you know, I guess moms in particular that have been through childbirth, have been through those kind of coaching sessions, as anywhere, reading anything that's sort of encouraging you to, you know, become aware that your body knows what to do and that you don't have to be as afraid because your body sort of knows what to do and knows how to take care. And it's a, maybe it's a far-fetched analogy, but I'm just thinking about how in so many ways eating competence, it's no different. Like our bodies know what to do if we listen to them. And I don't know what you guys think about that, uh, if that's too far a reach, but it just I just associated there. And I'm just thinking about parents of young children were not too long ago in that kind of uh, Childbirth education <laughs> milieu. So I don't know. Do you think it's uh, what do you think?
2: Oh, I don't think it's too far fetched at all. I think it's a great analogy. I think we we create a lot of anxiety um, around a situation that's like such a natural life giving part, you know, life giving process, both eating and childbirth. I think when we we try to use our minds. Too much, And I'm, you know, I'm a nutritionist. I'm the first person to use my mind, you know, around food choices, for example. But I know that like, when I really drop into my body, and obviously, I've worked on this throughout my life's lifetime. But when I drop into my body, and I really like give my body what it's needing and asking for when I really listen, um, it just it's such much more of a satisfying like a satisfactory experience with food. um, And I generally feel better. And I think like teaching our kids that skill um, is so different than like teaching them about nutrition um, in the sort of more mind driven way. And I think, I think it will be interesting to see if our, if we, change the way we teach kids about nutrition um, and, and bring more okay. of that embodied experience yeah. but I yeah. that- let's talk
1: about nutrition.
0: <laughs> yeah let's talk about that because that's our step five quit following food rules and kind of more subtext of it which is like well what is gentle nutrition or nutritional common sense that we can support the following being in, in tune and the body trust? And we can support that versus kind of break that relationship.
2: Yeah. Well, I I want people to find what works for them and what feels natural because ultimately what what your kids will um, will most appreciate, I think, around any around food is that you feel clear and comfortable and and kind of set in the way that you want to present food to your house, for example. And I don't I don't pretend to ever have all the answers around what someone should or shouldn't eat. I always caution people against nutritionists who seem to have all those answers, but ultimately like what's worked for me and for a lot of the families and individuals in my practice is to sort of think about nutrition in very simple terms and teach this to kids that like a meal is usually you know, a little, when they're old enough to understand these concepts and it's appropriate, um, a little bit of carb, a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat and some produce. And like that makes some balance. And that, you know, if some meals you don't feel like having one of those components, that's okay as long as you get those components later on in the day. But chances are, if you get, if you hit those components, you'll be satisfied and your meal will hold you for a little while. And like that sometimes is all that kids really need to know about nutrition um, or nutritional balance um, to sort of give them a framework to make their own choices. And that, yes, like sometimes we don't feel like having very much protein at our meal and we want to have like more of a starchy meal and just listen to that. And sometimes we don't. Like, we really feel like having a lot of vegetables, and sometimes we don't feel like having a lot of vegetables. And that's okay because that's sort of the body letting us know what its priority is right now and to listen to that.
1: So, I think related to that, this sort of theme of listening to your body and trusting your body, I think it flows nicely into exercise. And, you know, step six, we have quit exercising for anything other than joy and pleasure. And your book, you talk a lot about joyful movement. And so we just want to know what, what do we need to stop doing to promote joyful movement in place of, let's say, punishing exercise?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's kind of self-explanatory, but, but I think doing like encouraging movement as a family that everyone loves to do and enjoys doing together, um, like going ice skating or playing a game outside together or, you know, whatever it is that like dancing together in the kitchen, that's like a big one in my house. Um, whatever like works for your family to encourage joy and movement is going to create a active lifestyle so much more than anything that feels imposed or shoulded onto your kid, for example.
0: What do people do who are really on a exercise routine parents and that are on that? What do they how do they do this? And I'm thinking that a lot of parents listening to this podcast or a lot of parents, I know, I guess we're in New York city. Like it's part of their daily routine that their kids may or may not see, but I don't think it's all about joy and pleasure. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. how do you help people transition?
2: That's a, that's a great question. I think that's for parents to really work on themselves Like, really, really, like, getting clear on what are the types of movement that are more fun, Um, because if you're not having fun and it feels like another chore, then you're going to probably communicate that sort of grumbly relationship with physical activity to your kid, whether whether you're conscious of it or not. (laughs) You know, trying to cultivate that sense of, like, what are the types of movement that are really appealing to me. Do I like moving with other people or by myself? Does it serve me better in my life to move in the morning and do my physical activity in the morning or in the evening? Are there things that I like to do with my family and are there things that I like to do by myself? But I think cultivating joy and just, again, being in your body is very different than um, having a prescription around exercise. And I think kids pick up on that.
1: I think it connects nicely also to the body trust because instinctively we do want to move as human beings. Like we don't feel good when we're like entirely sedentary. It doesn't feel good. And I think this is so important. And we, from a previous episode, we know that there's research behind it too, that, you know, just promoting joyful movement, even if like you said, it's just dancing in your kitchen, that that's actually a better way to support uh, your kids and developing h- active lifestyle than, like you said, anything prescriptive. And um, that's not that's not always so intuitive to parents. So I think that's an important one.
2: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Probably something that we have a long way to go along with the dieting mentality. You know, we have a long we have a, a huge exercise industry as well and something that we have lost connection to kind of that natural, joyful movement. Um that our bodies want. And it's, it's confusing. So I think I just want to give mm. compassion out there to parents listening to step six, quit exercising for anything other than joy and pleasure. So let's move to step seven, which is quit ignoring your values. And you recommend we really strive to connect deeply with our values. Um, why do our kids need us to do this and teach them
2: this? Hmm. Well, our values and our needs, like our deep needs, are connected to our choices ideally um, and so when we know who we are and what's important to us, we tend to make choices more consciously instead of like following the latest advice of a health guru, for example, who might be different than we are, we are more likely to make a decision about a sort of health or lifestyle practice that's just clear and not fraught with um, a lot of questioning, which is very confusing sometimes for kids. So I think the more we sort of connect with what's important to us um, inherently, and, and often that means we can get our needs met better. And when we get our needs met, we tend to not use food, either, you know, the the overeating of it or the restriction of it to try to somehow get our needs met. And uh, so I, it's a big part of this process of like having a good relationship with food, body and self to connect to our needs and our values, which is why i included it in my book. But I think our kids like, like the more we can communicate those values and also like communicate that it's okay to have needs um, to our kids and like ask for what we need and, and, As long as we're okay with someone maybe saying no, then we help with that process. That can it's a place where a lot of people struggle with food when they are not able to sort of ask for what they need in their life.
1: Totally, and we and we we actually did a whole episode with a with a researcher that's uh, studied values and the importance of helping your children find their voice. And I appreciate what you're saying about. Uh, how that is really central to protecting people from developing eating disorders because we do, right? Leslie and I often are helping our clients who are entrenched in eating disorders really connect with what their actual values are. So this just seems, if parents can model uh, living their values and also talking about values as something that's important and kind of vital to a happy life, It's a good one. Absolutely.
0: So how about step eight? Quit neglecting your own self-care. What does our commitment to our own self-care as parents have to do with raising body-positive kids?
2: I think this goes back to what we talked about in step one is that kids imitate us. Like They learn so much more um, from watching us than they do from hearing us um, speak about things. so, um our kids if we take good care of ourselves, if we take the time for self care, then our kids will learn that that's okay to do that it's something that they can do for themselves as well, and I think we also have to be like careful about the self care industry too, which is like okay. a little aside like 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 have some media literacy, like you know my my kids, for example, are like they're teenagers now and they're like into. You know okay let's let's take a bubble bath and do a face mask and things like that it's very sweet but um but like it's good to sort of let them know that like the images that they see for example of these faces that don't have pores aren't normal and i'm you know i'm in that world maybe now having two teenagers but um but i think like the images that are out there in the sort of self-care industry are often not very realistic. So the more media literacy we can give our kids, um, the better. But yes, absolutely. Taking good care of ourselves, doing things that nourish us like mind, body, and soul is something that our kids are watching very much. And if we are someone who's just always a martyr and not taking care of ourselves, then our kids will learn that that's what's best because they're they're watching us as their role models. So I think
0: that's so important. Absolutely, very helpful to note. You know, the self care industry is, in in many ways, not promoting very well yet. Hopefully, it will change diversity and body size. Um, and we see a lot of a lot of room for growth in the self care industry. And so, be mindful of that too. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And self care. I also want to mention that it doesn't have to take a lot of time, right? It's like quality over quantity, (laughs) but consistency feels important, right? To like make it, like I'm hearing you say that it's not just about taking good care of yourself because that will benefit your children, but actually allowing them to see that you do this. Um, So even if you're not doing it hours and hours a week that at least you're doing it in a visible enough way that your kids get to see that, you know, parents also take care of themselves and value themselves.
2: Right. And I didn't even mention that taking good care of yourself means that you're going to be probably a better parent, (laughs) like, like a more present, more like more regulated, well regulated parent, if you're also meeting your own needs first.
0: So let's talk about step nine, quit disconnected eating. What is this about?
2: Uh, Quit disconnected eating. Well, um, I talk in step nine in my book about um, developing a self-connected eating style, which again is making food choices from a place of um, self-care and listening to the body from that body trust that we talked about as opposed to some kind of self-control or body changing kind of behavior. Um, But um, I think it's really important for you to develop the the style of eating that works for you as as an individual, as a parent, but not to impose that eating style on your kids as they might have very different preferences and very different bodies um, than you. So like... You know, obviously developing your own way of eating that works for you, but not assuming that that's going to actually work for your kids and their bodies, which are very different and have different needs.
1: I think that's important because. It's a, it's, a, you know, it's a tall order to ask people to you know, pay attention to themselves. I think this, this day and age, everybody's so busy and scrambling, but to ask a parent to both tune into themselves and to try to discover what does connected eating feel and look like to them, and then you know, model that, but then make room for the possibility that if their kid is able to do this too, the outcome might just look different. It's, a, it's, you know, it's like a little duality. It's not always easy for people to hold.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But essential. All right.
1: Well, last but not least, step 10, quit going it on your own. And we love your uh, use of this expression, a tribe of support. And you really uh, invite people in your, in your book to seek out a tribe of support. And so for parents in particular, like why do we need tribes of support and how can we build one?
2: Well, I um just want to make one comment. I love that you love that phrase, and I did too, but you know, a, a colleague pointed out to me at a conference I was speaking at recently that there are some people, specifically um, Native American um, people, who might not love the use of tribe in a more commonplace way a non sacred way so I just want to I just want to put that out there and I may change it in a a second edition of the book but because um, I, I certainly never intended to offend in any way and, and don't and don't want to going forward so I just want to put that out there that I, I like the term tribe too because it has a wonderful feel to it but I, I certainly don't want to be disrespectful to you know those who have been marginalized so much already um, sure. and co-opting that word so but but yes I think we need a support um, tribe or a support community is what I might use Going forward, it's the word. And we all have heard that it takes a village to raise a child. And I think when it comes to parenting, absolutely. I think for quit going it on your own, I mean that if any of these concepts that I'm like bringing up, that we're all bringing up, are difficult um, to get some support. Like, you know, it's not easy to stop shaming your own body if you've loathed it all your life. It's not easy to eat mindfully and in sort of a balanced, um, embodied, body trusting kind of way, if you didn't get that training, and you haven't been doing it, like if you've been dieting, for example, all of your life, it's so hard to actually shift out of that paradigm. And I just recommend that parents get support with that, um, so that they are able to, you know, be more comfortable with um, helping their kids develop this you know, more embodied relationship with food. I also would like add to this bullet point about um, support that like, don't ignore a problem. If you see one, if you see a child of any age who um, seems to have challenge in their relationship with food or their bodies, I would just recommend to seek help um, and also be very discerning about that help not, yeah. not all nutritionists um, uh, have uh, expertise and knowledge about disordered eating and can sometimes do more harm than good, but early help as we know in the eating disorder field brings better outcomes and recovery and more healthy relationships with food. So I just, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to ignore a problem until it was too late and had become more entrenched yeah. in that child's identity.
1: This, this is really important. Um, and I, I really appreciate that in encouraging people to seek out community and, you know, peers and even professionals to support them that you're, you're really validating how hard this is. Like, and I, I never want to, uh, underestimate how hard what we're asking parents to try to do, even through this podcast, this is all incredibly hard. It's hard to even know when you're like, knee deep in diet culture or, you know, when your well-meaning nutritionist that you took your kid to is actually perpetuating some of these values of diet culture. And I want everybody to hear what you're saying that in, in saying, quit going it on your own, or we're saying quit going it on your own. You're saying increase your support and really understand that this stuff is so hard and it's good to surround yourself with other people.
2: Yes. No, we're all, like I said before, we're all swimming in the same soup and it is challenging to shift our thinking about sort of food and sort of this wellness morality that is really out there. Um, And I think even more out there because of the internet, but I think the more we can connect with like-minded individuals who are also on this journey of trying to eat in a more embodied non-diet oriented way the more like we can actually do that and do that for our families
0: and speaking of just it being a challenge and all of this is hard for the the listeners before you go what is the one thing above all things that you want parents listening to do on the regular to help their children fully bloom
2: And I love that you're talking about children blooming um, because I guess this would be like another quit or a stop type thing. Um, I would say stop um, seeing your child as a body as much as you possibly can um, and then dial back a little bit and see, you know, him, her, there. We have to, you know, whatever pronoun it is um, as a whole person. So when you notice that you're you know, then you are kind of focusing on your child's body, you know, even complimenting it, you know, for example, or on their appearance too much, you know, just be kind to yourself. Like, again, we're all taught to do this in our culture, um, but say something else instead. So I'll give you like an example instead of, um, you know, oh, you look great in that dress. It's so flattering, you know, to your child, your daughter, for example, you might say like, oh, you must be so excited for this special evening. And um, I can see that you're going to shine. It's so great to see you smiling. So you're what you're doing is you're sort of appreciating the inner beauty and the soul of your child in that moment, that like exciting moment, as opposed to commenting on the dress or the how beautiful they look. Um, And I know this is like going to be very hard to do. That's why I like I say it's a challenge and we have to be so kind to ourselves um, around this because we were all taught to focus on the exterior. But the more we can shift some of our focus uh, around our children to like their whole person experience, the more we're going to protect our kids from only seeing in the mirror, like the physical and not sort of seeing their whole um, self, which is. Obviously, what you're trying to promote on this podcast, I love it.
1: Yeah, no, and it's a, it's a great one, and I, I love how you said it. Just quit seeing them as just a body, and that's so that's so protective. And there's so much body objectification and internalized objectification that happens. That we're, you know, we talk more about on other episodes, but. I love that response, and this has been such a pleasure to have you. We, we know we have to let you go, um, but we really want to recommend your book to everyone listening, and we're going to put all the details about it on the website. But thank you so much for walking us through our top 10 things to quit to help your children fully bloom.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I've really appreciated the conversation, and um, I am just delighted that you had me. and. Uh, I think all of this just takes so much practice so I you know I can leave with the last like message to just keep practicing like practice and practice and practice again um and just be kind to yourself in the process it's raising kids is like um probably one of the hardest jobs ever um but I mean such so rewarding and wonderful like I think my kids are my spiritual teachers in so many ways but it's um it's hard to do and uh Just be gentle to yourself in the process, and it will probably go better.
0: So that's our show. End our season. Yes. I can't believe it. We did it. We did it.
1: And that was a wonderful conversation, because I think Heidi really... Allowed us to think through all that we've been talking about all season long, and she
0: seems very connected to the body positive parenting ethos. Absolutely, and hopefully, you all heard some great little nuggets of wisdom that you can take, but also, hopefully, you did not feel implicated or blamed. That's one of our really important points of view on the Full Bloom podcast that we're trying to convey in every episode. So important, and I think. It's
1: going to continue through our summer series and also into next season because we really want to make sure as you process and take in all this new information that at no time are you walking away feeling disempowered or shame or guilt. And if you are feeling guilt, that you feel like this is a place to keep coming back to work through your feelings, because we're all learning. We're all in this. I I, I think out of all of the episodes this season, one of my favorite things I heard from a guest was Heidi Schuster, who said, we're all swimming in the same soup. I think I quoted her yesterday when we were at Nike.
0: Yeah, which brings us to this season has this experiment. This project has yeah. really turned into something um, since launching the podcast in January 2019. I'm so grateful for Zoe to be my partner in this project, and we've been really committed. We hope you feel that we've been committed. I feel so proud that we launched one episode every single week, mm-hmm. which was kind of a feat for us. A huge feat.
1: We're, you know, working parents, and we have small children, and it really, I think this was a labor of love and and friendship that we really made a commitment to each other and have since brought in, it seems like thousands of people are connected in one way or another via Instagram and listening, downloading our guides, and it's really cool. It's been really gratifying and so illuminating. I feel like my clinical practice is enhanced, and I'm just learning so much each and every week, and I'm very grateful to you, Leslie, for being the much more organized of the two of us and my partner in crime, so thank you.
0: You're welcome. And thank you to all 15,000 of you who have listened so far to our episode or all 15,000 times you've listened (laughs) to it. Um, We did want to let you know that we will be, as we alluded to, we will be running a short summer series. So um, we won't go away for the summer. And then we'll be launching season two sometime in early September And a little bit about what to expect um, in the coming weeks.
1: Uh, We are going to, as Leslie mentioned, run some summer special episodes that feature a little bit uh, question and answer type episodes. um, And also a little bit more about our story. As well as some replays of our top three episodes. Yeah?
0: Yeah. Which right now the top three are Why is Puberty So Critical to Body Positivity? why would I raise an intuitive eater? And what does healthy really mean with a how do I manage junk food coming up close second? So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) so those seem to be the most popular topics. And that makes us really happy because
1: these are really critical questions. And yeah, so I think we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. And more next week. And As always, if you liked what you were hearing this season, we'd greatly appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the podcast. Next week we are going to be talking more about how you can really get involved and become an official patron of the Full Bloom Podcast.
0: Yes, as this has been a labor of volunteer love on our part. um, And we hope that if you want to keep hearing more of of it, you'll jump on the bandwagon and support us. um, And join our community more officially. Yes, so we'll talk about that more next week. Um, But we would also love to hear any reactions or questions that came up during this episode or this season. So please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. Yes, tune back in next time for more body positive parenting
1: wisdom.